0: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, today is the Epiphany of our Lord. And Epiphany is a Greek word that means to shine forth or to appear. And this is what Epiphany is about it is about the Lord entering into this dark world, dark in sin and death, and revealing His face and making Himself known. And so tonight we remember the moment when God, by a star in the sky, led the Gentile Magi exactly to where he was and revealed his sacred face to the world. Now, uh, before getting into the events themselves, I want to go through the things that we know and the things that we don't know about that first epiphany. So, I'll start with what we don't know. <clears throat> the first thing we don't know is how exactly the star led them to Jesus. Uh, We don't know how that worked, what that looked like or how how it was figured out. But uh, uh, two years ago, I preached a uh, sermon on on this, on the epiphany. Um, So I'm not going to cover it now. But the second thing uh, that we don't know is how many guys there were either. Uh, Typically, we think of three because there were three gifts And it would be kind of awkward if you're the fourth guy and you don't have a gift uh, or you come empty handed or something. Okay, Uh, the third thing we don't know is when exactly they visited Jesus, when they got there. Some think it's 13 days after he was born, hence uh, January 6th uh, after after Christmas. Others think it was 30 days. Others put it at a number of months and even within a year. Uh, but it's it's within a year's time that the magi make it to where Jesus is. <clears throat> so that's what we don't know: when exactly they visited, how the star led them there, and how many of them there were. Uh, we don't know these things, but neither do they actually matter. <clears throat> Here's what we do know, and this what we know does matter. We know that these men are Gentiles. That that means they're not Jews. They are not from Abraham or from David. Uh, They are not their descendants. And even more, the Bible does not call them wise men. The Greek word there is magi. You might have heard this word before. So they were not kings. They were magi. Uh, Magi is where we get the word magic from or magician. Now, they're not magicians like we think of it today, that they they perform illusions or tricks or they're performers. No, uh, the magi or these magicians were Eastern intellectuals who were actually into astronomy and astrology and the sciences and even sorcery. And that means that they did not worship the God of Israel. These magi, they were into a lot of bad things things that are harmful to the soul. They were into some of the occult and divination even. So when the Bible says, Behold, magi from the east appeared in Jerusalem, that behold is showing surprise because the last people you would have ever expected to come from the east to where Jesus was were these magi, were these pagans, these people who had nothing to do with Abraham or David or Jesus. Now, uh, that's what we know about the Magi. Now, I want to focus how they got to Jesus. And this is really the main point of the sermon. There's a lot of stuff that occurred to make this happen. So bear with me. I'm going to recount everything that took place or had to take place in order for this to happen. Uh, When God chose to take on flesh, to become incarnate, to, to be made man, he chose Mary the Virgin Mary, to be his mother, a woman from Nazareth, who was in Nazareth. However, the prophets of the Old Testament said that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem of Judea, which is about 68 miles away from, uh, from Nazareth. So there's a big gap between these two places. That's a long way to travel for someone who's pregnant Uh, By the way, now, I suppose that God could have sent an angel. He could have sent an angel to Mary and just said, hey, uh, Mary, by the way, uh, you're here in Nazareth, but the Bible says that you're supposed to give birth in Bethlehem. So you should go over there. And then because that's how this is supposed to play out. He could have done that. Right. But he didn't. Uh, Rather, what he did was this years before he raised up a man in Rome named Caesar Augustus. Uh, And he puts him into power. And then Caesar mandates a census for the entire world. You've never seen something like this before. The entire world. And they all have to go back to their own home for the purpose of taxes, for taxation. And it's a massive event that upends the entire world. And because of that census, Joseph and Mary then have to go back to Bethlehem. That's where they were from. Okay, so that's, keep that in mind. That's one image of one thing that's going on right here. Uh, now, while all of that is going on, around the same time, or a little bit earlier, uh, those magi out in the east see a star in the sky. Uh, and they're about six months of walking distance away from Jerusalem. Uh, and they see a star in the sky. And they're looking into all of the religious books and the text, whatever they can find. And finally, they find a prophecy in the Old Testament about a newborn king of the Jews. And they don't know anything about him or where he is to be born. All they know is that there is some significance to the change of the stars, something they haven't seen before, some sort of constellation or appearance, an arrangement that's out of the ordinary. Okay, so what they decide to do is they decide to follow this star across several countries and then they end up getting lost along the way and they end up in... Jerusalem. Okay, keep that in mind. Now, while they're lost in Jerusalem, while they're there, the Bible says that they were saying, where's the king of the Jews who has been born? It says they were saying. It's a present participle which emphasizes a, a continual action. So they were constantly saying this. It's not like they went to Herod immediately and said, where's the king of the Jews? They were asking people around the area in Jerusalem, hey, have you heard about this king? Have you heard about this new baby? No, no. So they keep asking. So the, the Magi didn't go straight to Herod. Rather, they go around asking people and then finally the Bible says that when this rumor spread and this news spread around Jerusalem, it finally got to Herod and then Herod heard of this And then it says, when King Herod heard, he was troubled. He heard this through the grapevine. Well, now once people, I already preached on Sunday how crazy Herod was. uh, And this is how crazy he was. Once the people knew that Herod knew that there was a newborn king of the Jews, the verse continues. It says, King Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They were troubled, not because of the king of the Jews. They were troubled because they knew that Herod would do something crazy, that he would probably kill people if he heard this. And they knew that he knew that there was someone else in town. Uh, So now here we have uh, all of Jerusalem uh, buzzing with this information. Now they're kind of scared on the edge of their seats. And Jerusalem is afraid. Herod is paranoid. The Magi are lost. And Mary and Joseph are uh, trying to get back, they're in Bethlehem uh, in in the midst of all of this. Okay, so what does Herod do? He gets this information, he gathers the chief priests and the scribes, and then uh, he says, find out where this king is supposed to be born. They look in the Old Testament, they find Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and it says, and you Bethlehem in the land of the Jews are not among the least, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of you, out of Bethlehem, shall come to me the captain, who is the Lord, over my people of Israel. Okay, so Herod finds this out. He comes up with a plan, and he's paranoid, and he tells the Magi, go find the baby, then bring the baby back to me so I can worship him. And by worshiping him, he means so I can kill him. Uh, And that was the lie he tried to trick them with. Okay, Uh, there's a lot going on all at the same time here. Uh, here's a recap. Caesar Augustus orders a, life, a once-in-a-lifetime worldwide census for the sake of taxes, uh, forcing Mary and Joseph to travel 68 miles to Bethlehem while pregnant. Uh, meanwhile, there's a lifetime, uh, once-in-a-lifetime arrangement of the stars uh, that some magi from around Persia see and follow, they get lost. They end up in Jerusalem. They ask around. Nobody knows what's going on. The rumors spread. King Herod hears it. The paranoia leads him to find the baby and kill the baby. That's what his plan is. They find the prophecy. He tricks the Magi to go find the baby. But in trying to trick them, he ends up telling them where the baby is, which is Bethlehem. And then the Bible says, when they saw the star, they were exceedingly glad and went into the house And found the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him, and opened their treasures, offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when the Bible says, and they worshiped him, it means that the Magi repented and they had faith in him, they believed him to be God. This word is not used lightly in the scriptures. When it says somebody bowed down and worshipped him, it means they believed, they trusted in him. They believed him to be the savior. So something changes for these magi from what they believed before to this moment now that they're in front of Jesus and they repent. Okay, if there was a breakdown in any of this, if Caesar didn't mandate the census, if Mary and Joseph didn't obey and didn't go home, If the Magi didn't see the star, if they never asked around, if the rumor never spread, if it never reached the ears of Herod, if Herod wasn't paranoid or crazy, if he didn't find the scribes, if he didn't summon the Magi, then the event tonight of the Epiphany, the Magi bowing down, being converted before the Lord Jesus, would have never happened. And the point I'm getting to is this that God not only created this world and sustains it, but he still governs the entire world. He rules the entire world, the universe. He is in control of it, and he has not withdrawn from it in the smallest degree. He hasn't stepped back from it. Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 30 says, The very hairs on your head are numbered, this is a constant, continual numbering of the hairs on your head. He knows that you had you, you have less hair today than you had yesterday. He knows this constantly, right? He knows, and he not only knows these things, but in Matthew chapter 5, 17, he says, My father is working until now, and even I am working, present tense, even right now. And more than that... Listen to what Acts chapter 17 says. It says, God has made of one blood of all nations men to dwell on the entire face of the earth and has determined the allotted periods, the times, and the boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. This is Acts chapter 17. We are talking about a God who is larger and more powerful than we can make sense of. And yet a God who at the same time is intimately involved in the smallest details of this life. Even the hairs on our head. And that this is the one who is governing the world. And this is amazing because that means that God used this census, this global event to get Mary from one spot to another. And God used these mistakes and these personalities and this one man's paranoia and wickedness and even their sins, all of these things, God arranged the universe in such a way to get a couple of guys from out in the east to be with him at his birth and see his face. And this is the same God who is working all things for our good. God will use all politics and astronomy and science and history for his purpose. Now, if God, <clears throat> if God has so ordained the things in galaxies light years away, and the seemingly meaningless and arbitrary things of this earth, to move in such a way that would lead these men to find Jesus... Do you not think that the Lord has ordained and moved the entire universe in such a way to lead you to himself, even here tonight? That is because God governs this world and he has you in mind. The visitation of the Magi is not an account about how wise and mighty you have to be to find Jesus, how smart you have to be, how intelligent you have to be. It is an account that shows us that God leads even the most distant and ignorant people in this world to him. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1 says, God says, I will be visited by those who did not seek me. And what that means is this that you are not here by chance. You are not hearing this sermon or these very words as a coincidence. God led you here tonight. He has in fact arranged and ordained everything in your life, everything in the world in such a way that you would hear these words right now and that you would hear them at this very moment of your life. Everything that has happened in your life, your parents, when they met and where you were born, when you were born, where you grew up, the people you've met in your life, your education, your finances, your marriage, your job, your car, the political situation, we're in the lockdowns, the mandates, the virus, the building, this microphone, the very mistakes and the messes that you made in your life, the trouble that you're in right now, God has used all of it. Not any of it was in vain, but God has used all of it to get these words in your ears right now. He has ruled and ordered your life in such a way that you would come to this location, this address, this very night, so that you would be filled with the profound comfort that Jesus came from heaven was made man and was born for you for your sake, for your salvation. And he brought you here to see that the one who was born for you is also the one who came to die for you. He did all these things so that you would hear how much he loves you and hear all he does to bring you his salvation. And he has done this so that you, like those magi before Jesus, would bow before him and kneel before the God who loves you. So, dear saints, we, like those magi, were once distant and helpless in our sin and guilt, ignorant of the mercy of God, having no idea what God thought of us, how much he loved us, or what he did for us. That's what we were like. There was no way we could find out either or find him on our own. But God has drawn us to himself by miracles of the Holy Spirit that were entirely out of our control or our initiation. And he has led you and I, poor, miserable Gentiles, to gather around him here tonight. And he led you here and set you here before him so that you would trust Him in all things and rejoice in Him and find hope in Him and know that your life is not random or meaningless or void or empty or in vain. Not a thing in your life is like that. But the Lord is involved in all things, even in the midst of your suffering and your pain and the seemingly senseless and meaningless things in your life. The Lord has purpose and meaning for for all of them. The God who guides the planets is the one who guides your life. And so he arranged your life so that you would kneel here tonight before him once again and receive his body and his blood and take away your sin and unburden your conscience and give you the deepest and most profound joy. So don't be bothered by all of the crazy and strange and absurd things happening around you right now in the news, in your life. Or anything. God is in control and he is working through all of it. This is God's epiphany to you. And tonight he shows you who he is and how highly he thinks of you. That he would rearrange the world for you. God has led you here tonight to find Jesus who first found you. May God bless you this epiphany as he reveals to you all he has done to save you. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. Almighty Father, in your Son, you loved us when not yet begun was this old earth's foundation. Your Son has ransomed us in love to live in him here and above. This is your great salvation. Alleluia, Christ the living, to us giving life forever, keep us yours and fails us never.